Welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. My name is Beth Shank, nurse scientist and sustainability leader in Missoula, Montana. On the podcast, I interview nurses working at the intersection of health and environment. Today, our guest is Charlotte Wallace, community health nurse and environmental leader at Anne Arundel Medical Center in Annapolis, Maryland. Charlotte has been an innovative and energetic leader. She had the opportunity to represent nurses and environmental health at a roundtable with stars including President Barack Obama, EPA Director Gina McCarthy, and Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. She is just as heroic in her daily work, and I'm pleased to welcome Charlotte Wallace to the podcast. Charlotte Wallace, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to talk to you today. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your nursing background. Well, thanks, Beth. Uh, So I was a pediatric nurse for about 18 years, did everything from psych to acute care, transplants, primary care, um, and was really tired of seeing kids suffer with diseases that science shows us we possibly can prevent. So in 2017, um, I initiated and led, uh, with VP support, uh, an interdisciplinary team here at the hospital that focused on environmental health. And then in 2013, went back to school for my master's in public health at University School of Nursing and really fell in love with the theories and the focus on the social determinants of health and health disparities. So I'm now a community health nurse and I oversee the environmental health program that I helped start. And you are at a single hospital, is that right? Anne Arundel Medical Center. We're a nonprofit community hospital, uh, about 400 beds here in Annapolis, Maryland. And um, I've been really honored to be here, honestly, because um, for since the 2007, um, they've been very supportive of the initiatives. Uh, we actually were the first hospital in Maryland to achieve um, LEED certification, and we achieved LEED gold for our acute care tower. Um, they've been very innovative and supportive, so I'm, I'm super lucky. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So you talked about your, your former experience as a pediatric nurse, and you were making these connections about health and environment and social determinants of health. Would you say, um, did that go back to your childhood or was this something that occurred to you as a nurse? How did that get started, do you think? Um, I'm, you know, I'm not exactly sure. I know uh, growing up in upstate New York, you know, we recycled and we had some aggressive programs that I didn't find when I uh, moved down to Maryland. Um, but I think it really hit me when I worked at Johns Hopkins and saw so many children um, struggling to breathe with their asthma just by based where they live, based on their race. You know, they just were born into this, basically. Um, and it just seems so unfair to watch them struggle to breathe and this revolving door. Um, I think that was really what pushed me over to start digging into environmental health. Uh-huh. And then in your... Um... So you started the program before you went back for your master's degree, but I, I imagine I <laughs> your master's degree really uh, advanced that, just partly because the University of Maryland has been such a leader in environmental health. Is that your experience? Absolutely, absolutely. I kind of did it backwards. Um, and actually, it was when I was testifying one time um, that I was a little bit challenged of my degree, and I thought, well, maybe I should go back and get that master's degree. And I knew of University of Maryland and their really progressive programs. Um, with environment and uh, public health. And so right, I chose them. And it was neat to go in school and look at back to some of the programs that I started and to say, oh, maybe we should have built that a little differently. You know, it was successful, but maybe we should have built it to evaluate it a little differently and uh, measure the impact. Um, mm-hmm. So yes, I learned a lot through school based on my past experience. So you mentioned testifying. Tell us a bit more about that. Oh, so 
Yeah, and honestly, I, I loved bedside nursing, never thought I would leave it as super rewarding. Um, but I found myself uh, coming to some tables just to learn more about environmental health. And then uh, it was around 2011, uh, Maryland Board of Nursing had uh, an environmental health committee. And so I decided to show up a few times. And one of the times they mentioned, you know, we really need a nurse to speak up. Uh, there's a, a push for a ban for arsenic and chicken feed. And, you know, the pediatric nurse in me and all the chicken nuggets I've seen, I just thought, pick me, please. And I just thought, what am I doing? I'm a bedside nurse. I don't do these things. But anyways, that was the first time that I testified on behalf of Annie. And um, I believe that one as well, the Maryland Board of Nursing approved it. Um, and then I've, you know, done a lot of testifying and other advocacy things through um, Annie as well. So it's been a very fun journey. Well, I know one of the times you testified, and I don't know the detail, but it was you were sitting near the president of the United <laughs> States. Tell us about that. Uh, that <laughs> one wasn't a testimony. That okay. one was a roundtable discussion. Um, yeah, super honored to have been that person chosen. Um, I was able to be the participant. Um, it was a talk about the health impacts of climate change. Um, and it um, was rewarding to hear the discussion. Um, of one, you know, how do we, how does the public connect with the health impacts? How do we help them connect the dots? You know, what are we seeing the trends? Um, yeah, it was very rewarding. So just Being to shine... A little more light on that, if the, mm -hmm. the listeners don't know. You were sitting, uh, I think, two or three seats over from President Obama. I'm actually to his left. To and his to left, me, immediately. To his left, and my left is uh, Gina McCarthy, who at the yeah. time was the um, head of the EPA, and then to Obama's right was uh, Vivek Murthy, at the time the Surgeon General. Yeah, yeah. wow. I hope I you have that photo framed. <laughs> I actually do, I do. <laughs> no, it that's really, really day. exciting. And you obviously are well prepared spokesperson for nursing and you know the, people like you and and me and others who are working on these issues are um trying so hard to get the voice of nurses out into the public because of all the reasons we know most trusted voice can really translate things well to other people understand these connections so congratulations and thank you for that great work oh. that you did and will continue to do Oh, you know, thank you and i do have to applaud annie for the support um i, I know i make it sound like they're a person but they're such a strong team and all the um, times that I've taken, you know, that first time I've testified to, you know, um, briefings that I've done. But every time Annie said, you know, the team, you know, you can take one step out of your comfort zone. And they've been so supportive and encouraging. Um, you know, it's like taking that leap off of a trapeze, you know, where you have the harness and you have the net below you and the person's down there cheering you on. Like it's they make it easy to do this work. So um, I it's very rewarding and I'm grateful to them. That's great. And, and just to remind listeners, Annie is the Alliance of Nurses for right. Healthy Environments. And they uh, have uh, four focus areas, research, um, education, advocacy, policy, and practice. So probably, you know, the advocacy function is uh, really uh, a priority. So that's great that uh, the staff have been helpful to you. And I think, you know, for sure, that's the main organization that's, that is representing environmental health in nursing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's really cool. So, so let's talk just a little bit more about climate change, and I then I want to talk uh, some more about your community health. But because you were on this panel, particularly with climate change, and because climate change has so many impacts to health, um, sure. tell me a bit about your experience with it, what you're seeing in your part of the country, any, anything else you'd like to say about it? Oh. Um... Well, now I'm a community health nurse, so I'm not at the bedside actually seeing, you know, the patients. Um, 
I'm in Maryland, Annapolis, Maryland, and I think the biggest thing here that, you know, people could connect is the change of weather patterns, right? We don't grow food here, so we don't see the change of the droughts and things that other areas are seeing. Um, we definitely see the rising water and things like that. But as far as health impacts, you know, we're seeing more cases of Lyme and other vector-borne illnesses that we know uh, we normally traditionally hadn't seen, um, but because of the changes we are um we, we know from data, this is more, um, you know, pulling back national data, but we know um, the connections of climate change. Uh, we see, you know, there's the high red alert days, the, the trends that parallel, um, you know, the emergency rooms seeing more cardiac um, activity, respiratory failures, um, asthma, like asthma, um, premature delivery of babies um, that just correlate right with the, the temperature spikes. Um, I think it's tricky, though. I, you know, I really think that it's hard for a lot of decision makers to really connect the health impacts of climate change because we don't really track climate change as like the morbidity mortality rates like we do for like true diseases um, as a collective whole. At least I haven't seen that. Um, like no death certificate is going to say climate change. Right. And so it doesn't quite have the same effect um, for people to really jump and to categorize things, although we can categorize all of these pieces and look at how they're connected. Um, but it also reminds me of, um, you know, the, the frog in the pot of boiling water, right? And I'm sure you've heard of it. But where the frog, you know, if he just was to jump in, he'd be like, oh, I need you know, just a quick action and jump and um, do something. But when they're in uh, the, the pot and it's slowly turned up, right, and the temperature isn't quite noticed as much because it's just slowly happening, there isn't that same draw to um, have a strong action. And unfortunately, I think a lot of decision makers don't feel that strong impact because slowly things kind of creep along. Um, and so you don't feel the impact as heavy as you do. So I just, we know it's there. People are talking about it. Luckily, um, it's just, you know, things don't change as rapidly as, as we would like. And, and we know that people are already suffering and um, it's just sad to see because we know that science is showing us that the trend's going to continue, uh, but only at a more, you know, catastrophic rate. Right. It's hard, hard uh, for people to make those connections. I think uh, so many, mm -hmm. so many of us, you know, deal with what's right in front of us. And it's just hard to think about these global challenges. I, I have thought sure. that about nurses, uh, you know, over the years, as I've talked with nurses, that it's hard to make that connection between, well, what does that have to do with this patient in front of me who I'm working on their wounds and their sure. um, instructions and, and all of that. But, but as you say, it marches on um, and and the time is nigh. So Yeah, and some, you know, some just feel so overwhelmed by it, right? It's mm -hmm. such a huge problem. And so it's just too much, you know, so yeah. kind of almost they give up. It's just too much. So, um, you know, instead of the what can I do today? What can I do in my home? What can I do at my work? But we'll get there. So how, how do you handle that? How do you decide that it's not too overwhelming? I'm going to do what I can. Oh, well, you know, I, um, yeah, I feel that. I owe it to future generations, right? Because what motivates me the most is the innocence of infants and children's, right? Because they don't have a voice. They can't advocate for themselves. Um, they're really at the mercy of us adults to protect them. So um, I just find I can only do what I can do. And so I can choose each day the way I live. And some days I do great. And some days, you know, like today I drove to work. It's cold out. <laughs> you know, I didn't ride my bike. Um, I actually don't normally ride my bike because the roads here aren't the safest. Um, but I do what I can. 
Um, and I try to inspire others as I can when they're ready for it and um, keep encouraging. And then I really started the environmental health program here at the hospital, you know, for the children, obviously what I was seeing, but also kind of if I can do these things in my home, wouldn't it be great if I could help flip a healthcare, you know, this, this hospital where one, I can educate the nurses that are here, the staff that are here um, to make changes in their home because they're seeing it here at work. If we can do it here at the hospital, you can do that at your home. Um, but the impact would be magnified by helping a hospital really make some of these hard decisions because they know it's the right decision. So, Right. And so let's talk about that a little bit, because you said that you had good support from your VP that that you mm-hmm. that the hospital tended to be forward thinking. You had the gold lead, et cetera. Yeah. Um, what what nonetheless, what were some of your challenges early on when you were getting the sustainability program going? Well, there's, you know, so many competing balls in the air, right? Um, you know, between safety and joint commission and, you know, so many competing priorities. And I totally understand it. Um, Funding is always a, a problem, but luckily um, a lot of our low-hanging fruit were cost savings. So one example would be waste. Um, the more hazardous the waste stream, the more it costs. And um, long story short about the GAT and other things here in Maryland contracts, um, we were stuck in a contract, but we knew we needed to come out of it, just like all the other Maryland hospitals. And we were sending most of our waste back in 2006, um, about 98% of it to the incinerator. And there's studies of Curtis Bay, which is our local incinerator area, um, looking at the health impacts of the residents that live. And the closer, obviously, you live to this incinerator, the higher rates of lung disease and heart issues um, and asthma for these children that are in this really impoverished area. Um, and we weren't, no, we, no one was intentionally, you know, doing harm, no one was sentenced there, but we know that um, Maryland hospitals as a whole, all of us were sending so much waste there. And so we um, were able, when we finally were able to launch recycling and landfill waste and just truly what was regulated medical waste, um, we were able to drop that down to about 12%, um, which is a huge difference from, you know, the 99. Um, but we're also between all the programs able to save about $800,000. So it was, you know, we're talking about trash, right? But it was the right decisions for protecting people's health and also economically the right decision here as a hospital um, when you look at all the programs combined. Right. It just makes so much sense when you think about conservation and efficiencies, which is really the work of environmental stewardship. Of course, mm-hmm. it's going to save money for the most part. You sure. know, I mean, I know there are some things that you, we could invest in that are quite expensive and those are choices to make. But I'm I'm often amazed that people haven't done, you know, the basics because they're just wasting money hand over fist. Yeah. Sometimes they just don't know. Um, so they just need someone um, to really kind of bring the science to them or show the case study of what another hospital has done. Um, you know, and then you just have to wait for the next budget cycle for it to get on the books. But, um, yeah, a lot of times they just don't know or someone hasn't mm-hmm. said it can be done. And here's how it looks. Right. That's very true. Um. So to just stay with the hospital for a moment, yeah. um, what all, have you done things specifically about climate? I mean, I realize your the energy efficiency certainly contributes in terms of mitigation. Are you doing education about that or bringing some of that in with your patient education? Do you know? Oh, yeah. Great question. So I'll be very honest. I um, because in the past I would try to talk about climate change and realize, you know, at the time it wasn't. Um, very accepted. And I don't mean like leadership here. I just mean as a general whole society. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've kind of stayed away from, unfortunately, using the words. 
up until recently because um, it just felt, well, I can still get what needs to get done <laughs> by just not saying the words. Um, but we did offer uh, Lunch and Learn last year, and it was focused on climate change and healthcare. Um, and we had some guest speakers, and it was well attended. We actually had a cutoff because uh, we were at capacity. Um, so it was nice to see that support of the staff here interested in it. Um, we, one of our initiatives that we're just kind of teetering with, um, you mentioned energy, which is always a struggle, right? It's a, it's a big place and um, we are energy hogs. We keep looking at the different areas, but one of the areas that we're just broaching on is waste and aesthetic gases. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty fascinating, again, kind of just the beginning of it, but it's the area that um, I'm looking to focus at next. Um, one through the lens of occupational safety, right? Making sure we're protecting the health of our operating room staff, especially our pregnant women that are in the operating room. Um, but a lot of studies around waste anesthetic gas show how they have a long atmospheric lifetime, which greatly increases their global warming potential. Um, and we know that these volatile anesthetics that are currently used in healthcare, they're halogenated compounds, which means they're destructive to the ozone. So from what I've been able to read, um, there's some anesthetics that are safer for the environment, and actually um, a couple of them are much cheaper. So it's more kind of where that line is of it's safe, it's effective, um, you know, and then supported. And then um, really, you know, how can we build a program encouraging our anesthesiologists, one, the awareness of it as they're making the decisions, and then how do we help them, you know, make those decisions if the research that I'm studying continues to show this. Great. And do you have many CRNAs? Just curious. Um, I don't know. Okay. Um, we've done some work on that in our health system, and it has been really well received by both the MD anesthesiologist and the nurse anesthetist, ah. um, and uh, have been able to provide them individual use data in terms of the sure. which agents they're choosing. And um, in one of our states, it saved about half a million dollars a year. We have 50 hospitals in seven states. And so, um, super, super good work. And yeah, um, well, yeah, I will connect with your champions there because it helps yeah. to say this hospital's done it. We can do it. Yeah, because you know it's right. kind of the peer to peer too. You know, mm -hmm. for someone to, um, you know, jump on board. So, it helps to have another anesthesiologist saying we did it. Yeah, exactly. That's really been the success here. I think is we have a real, real committed champion, uh, MD anesthesiologist named Dr. Brian Cheesebro. And he has been leading the charge and trying to speak in person with different anesthesia groups around the system. Sure. Oh, so nice. That's been, nice. That's been pretty important. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's great work. And um, I love to hear about different stories happening across the country in, in that example and others, you know, all the things that we deal with in, in acute care. So let's shift just a little bit to your community health focus. So how, what, how does that work? It's a hospital-based program, but you're yep. focusing on community health. Is it, would you consider it population health? Is it for your managed, uh, the people that you are insuring? How, how do you define it and what, what are you working on? Yeah, so I am paid to the hospital. Uh, I'm the only one here at the hospital, though there's a team. I'm the only community health nurse. Um, it's part of the community benefits. Um, I, um, we... Just like every nonprofit, every three years, we have to do it's called the CHINA, the Community Health Needs Assessment. So our strategies and priorities are based off of that uh, community assessment. Um, and then within that, I personally um, like to look at um, the health disparities and social determinants of health, as I mentioned, 
Um, and then within that, we, you know, build our strategy. Some of the programs that uh, we've been playing with, um, it's kind of what I love, you know, kind of the cross section of my, the public health work that I do. And then um, environment is uh, waste disposal boxes, which, you know, you see at some of the police stations, depending on what, what state you're in, where they're located. Um, but here it's been difficult to get one on campus, but we um, will be the second hospital in Maryland to have a medication waste disposal box here on campus. Um, and it's everything from, you know, the toddlers I've seen that have overdosed thinking, you know, it was candy that they found of, you know, the medicine, teenager suicides of finding that shoebox in the back cupboard, you know, to obviously the opioid crisis that's on a lot of our minds um, that I work with in the community. And um, then back to the environment, right? Protecting our watershed, making sure people aren't flushing it, they're safely disposing of these meds. Um, and then one of our other programs, so I started a farmer's market here on campus uh, maybe eight years ago, eight, nine years ago. Um, but it's been neat to now connect as I'm in some of these subsidized housing and doing blood pressure screenings and work with these residents. Um, it's been really nice to connect that now we are, um, we're in one of only two markets in the county that is actually able to um, accept WIC and SNAP. And so you can shop anywhere in our market um, for the produce and it will be covered, um, which is really nice to bring that connection to our vulnerable neighbors. We did pilot this year um, a prescription, I put it in quotes, you can't see, you know, um, a voucher basically, um, of free produce at our market for clients that are at our um, community clinics and then our diabetes and endocrine center, um, just to kind of give the emphasis of um, produce the same as medicine. There's a lot of um, different studies on this. Um, and it was really nice to see how many um, people, because we're giving them, say, each um, prescription's $5, but the the provider could determine, you know, single mom with three kids, okay, give her $20, give her something worth, you know, the trip and cover the taxi fee. Um, and so um, it was really rewarding to see how many, you know, would come and then how they use the prescription, the vouchers um, to purchase and, you know, try something that is kind of a gamble sometimes, right? That you might get, it might be too ripe, the kids won't eat it. Um, so it's safer to go with like a Dorito, right? Pretty much any bag you open, any chip you pull out is gonna taste the same. Um, and so it was really nice to um, build that program. So we have the farmer's market, but how do we connect this to our vulnerable neighbors um, and to help them improve their health and then expand our market, right? So we already have our staff, but how do we really expand this market to um, draw a bigger circle to bring in more clients? We did have a pop-up market, which was fun. Uh, we know that tra um, traveling, transportation is a huge barrier for a lot of these um, community members. And so we did a pop-up market um, at their actual facility um, where they could sign up for the senior nutrition vouchers. If they chose to shop with our farmer and use them, they could. We also had um, you know, samples and um, demonstrations for cutting. Um, it was really great. Another program is working with our local bike mechanics and police officers um, to help refurbish bikes for neighbors in recovery. So we know that you know, as they're making that uphill battle, they're a fresh start um, and really working hard a lot of them have transportation, huge transportation issues to get to the job or get to their meetings. Um, and so with the collection of all of us working together, us, you know, mostly storage and um, other support and then the mechanics, um, we've been able to um, refurbish these bikes and give them out to our sober living community, our um, vulnerable neighbors that are out there. So it's been fun to kind of pull together um, the needs that are on the community and then where the overlay of environmental health and, and tie it all together. Yeah, that's wonderful, Charlotte. Great description of your programs. And 
Yeah, it it uh, now we're talking about environment and health I realize and you had come from an environmental health background but you've just outlined uh, a point that I think is so important that when we look at community health needs and prevention so much of it overlaps with the environmental work that we're trying to do. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The, so yeah. One of the things I haven't um, been able to tackle it but um for the 3 years that I've been a community health nurse um I've been slowly, you know, chipping at it. Um, we know that one of um, our high rises in particular um, has a lot of sorry, respiratory issues, you know, a lot of asthma and a lot of, um, but then when you talk with them, they, you know, they talk about all the roaches and how they're constantly spraying the pesticides. And, you know, it'd be so great when I'm able to work with the management to really help build an integrated pest management program there and really to get ahead of why they have the roaches, how to stop the roaches. So they stop the spraying so they can decrease their asthma. You know, it's be really nice to um, be able to tackle that one. But it's, you know, all these little steps, but they they definitely weave together. So I'm honored yeah. to be able to tie it together when I can. That's really great. That's a, and that's a good idea. Do you, are, is the housing um, owned by the government in some way, city or county? Uh, some of them that I work with are, some mm-hmm. are private. And do you work with the city county health department on some um, of those I things? I definitely do um, with more with the county health department. We, um, I lead their um, access to care group. Um, and we definitely have other, you know, committees that we work together. We're really fortunate here in this county. We have um, two other hospitals here, and uh, we all play well in the sandbox, if you will, with um, looking at the community health needs and, um, you know, what we need to do together. So we've been really uh-huh. fortunate. That's terrific. Sounds like great work, and I'm, I'm sure you're leading the way in some of these areas. So congratulations. Well, thank you. Just doing what I can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask a question I often ask of people, which is you, you've kind of addressed a, a part about how you stay motivated for this work. And I'm wondering um, either about motivation or about really anything that if you had the floor to speak to all nurses, what would you say about where we are in time, our pressing issues, some of the yeah. work you've been doing, you know, anything like that, which is kind of a big question. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Okay. Uh, I know this is a question that tomorrow I'm going to be like, oh, I should have said. Um, well, I just, I just think, uh, foremost would be that we as a society, not just nursing, but we as a society tend to be very reactive. Um, and I really would like nurses, um, in particular, but, um, to really think more proactive, right. Kind of root causes of things. Um, and I guess just depends on where you are in the nursing spectrum, but the analogy um, that I like to use is, uh, you know, the person drowning in the stream and we're able to pull them out and build, you know, this big healthcare system on the side of the riverbank. And, um, you know, we keep expanding and adding awesome services. And I'm so grateful for the amazing uh, minds that are here and the technology to save people. Um, but while we need that to keep going, I, and I hope some other nurses will join me, right? We need to look, we need to take that walk up the stream to say, what's throwing everyone in the river? You know, how do we slow that down? What does it look like? How do we build that? Um, and so we need both. And so I really encourage nurses to think about public health and the root causes, um, the more proactive stance. Um, and, you know, nurses are so good. Oh my gosh, I've shown so many that are such strong advocates at the bedside, right? They will stop at nothing um, for their patient. And so, Nurses, I think, need to be encouraged to use that voice on a, a broader basis um, with policy. And I know some people like shy away from that word, um, but 
you know, they're just people making decisions and they only know what they know, right? So if their background was a business owner or real estate or, you know, whatever, whatever their background is, is where their expertise is. So what we as nurses take for granted and think everyone else just knows these things. They actually don't. And so you can tell by their questions that they ask are very basic, um, whether it's biology or about medicine. Um, they need us to come to the table to say, this is what we are seeing. And this is the connection, according to science, to what we're seeing. And this is what you can actually do to be the hero. Um, so I feel like nurses have all the pieces. They have all the tools. They just need the encouragement to say, you can do it. That's great. Great advice. And I, I, I second it. Hmm. Um, <laughs> another question that I like to ask people, uh, and this is, again, a broad question, but what are what is your biggest concern right now? And it doesn't have to be just one thing, but I mean, maybe it's that that we're 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 not proactive enough. We're not thinking upstream enough. But in terms of environment, particularly in health, what would you say? Oh, uh, my biggest concern, I think I think honestly, my biggest concern would be that there's so many topics out there and um, they all deserve attention for sure. Um, so there's just so there's only so much energy we all can, you know, spend a lot of this. So I think my biggest concern is that environment can just kind of get lost. And, um, you know, so how to keep it fresh and on the forefront and keep it people energized when sometimes, um, you know, you can just kind of get um, beaten up by it all. Um, so I really I guess my biggest concern is that um, it just doesn't get lost out there with all the other heavy topics that. And honestly, some of it, you know, you can connect back to um, climate change, right? That people have to immigrate and do things. Um, and I just mean Mexico, but, you know, as a global scale, right, that some wars and some of these problems are related to our climate changing and um, food and starvation and um, storms. And so, yeah, I think um, that's my biggest concern, that mm -hmm. it just gets kind of tucked in there with all the other things. Right, where everybody's so busy, it's easy to just kind of say, well, I'll get to that later, or I can't think about sure. that, or, right. yeah, I understand. Absolutely. And in the meantime, the water that we're all in as frogs gets hotter. <laughs> right, right, so we're not noticing it, because it's yeah. going slow. Yeah, no, I hear yeah. you. Yeah. All right, well, we're already, we're, we've already used up the time. This has been a really fascinating conversation, and I'm so impressed with the work you've done, the work you're still doing, your um, opportunities to uh, as a as an advocate, especially with President Obama, um, and really want to thank you as a citizen for your work and as a, a colleague also for your work and leadership. Is there anything else you'd like to say today? Oh no, I just want to thank you for the work that you do with Annie. I know you're volunteering your time. So thank you to you, and um, I'm super grateful for the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments because they, like I said, have been very encouraging and supportive. And it's an amazing network of nurses across the country who work together. And um, it's just, it's incredible support. And I am so grateful for the work that they do. Terrific. And thanks again so much, Charlotte. And thank you all for listening to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. Check us out at environ.org, where you can find this and many other episodes. And please leave a review for us wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you next time.